Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. What are we talking about today, Julie? Well, before we start talking about uh, some yoga, I have something to say. What's that? Oh. Wait. Oh. I never can get that. Oh. I like how your right. own has kind of a... Um, like it has kind of a twang at the beginning of it. Ow. It like kind of sounds like a Janis, Janis Joplin kind of an ohm. Yeah. Okay. That. Yeah, yeah. That's we we are going to be talking about uh, yoga and and uh, not just the explosion of yoga in the West, but um, about some of the things that have come to light recently about the benefits of yoga, and I guess some of the, what you could say, are risks. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, uh, we should we should point out here in all of this that neither of us are experts in yoga by any stretch of oh, the no. imagination. Uh, however, yoga is a part of, of both of our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, long, how long have you been taking yoga and practicing yoga? Um, about 15 years now. Wow. Yeah. See, so you, you've really been at it. I, uh, my wife and I started taking it uh, two or three years ago. So we're we're still fairly new to it, but uh, it's really it's really become an important part of of, of our lives and an important part of my life. Uh, I feel like it. Uh, I've benefited from it in that I'm in. I feel like I'm in better shape physically from it. Mm-hmm. I feel like it aids my relaxation. Um, I I can't count the number of times where I've gone into yoga, maybe in a bit of a bit of maybe not a, a full-on huff, but, you know, I'll be a little stressed out at the end of the day. I've been trying to, you know, at the end of a Tuesday, I've been trying to get stuff wrapped up, uh, specifically wrapped up often for this podcast, mm-hmm. you know, getting getting research um, um, under wraps. And then, then I go to yoga, and I'm all kind of a, a bundle of, of nerves and all these thoughts going, you know, this way and that. And then I come out of it, and I'm, I'm just in a different state of mind, a much more relaxed and and, uh, and focused state of mind. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about yoga. It is transformative. Yeah. And I think that that's why it has taken off so fully, uh, particularly since the 1990s, because people have discovered that even if they're a casual user of yoga, mm-hmm. so to speak, um, you know, and they do a power yoga or a Bikram hot yoga, they're going to find some sort of uh, the effects there and say, wow, for, for a space there, maybe even just for five minutes, my body completely relaxed and more importantly my, my mind uh you know followed in line and and I had a bit of a peaceful moment and that is the secret behind yoga right this this sort of tranquility that it promotes in our minds in our bodies i, I keep coming back to our centaur episode where centaurs we, doing yoga well i mean they they could it would be interesting uh, i'm not sure what kind of poses they would get into cuz uh, you don't think of horses as really being Big contortionists. They're kind of stiff-legged. Um, and, you know, you horse enthusiasts can correct me if I'm wrong on that, but you don't really see them doing a lot of poses out there. So Downward I, I feel horse. Like, yeah. yeah. So I, I feel like a centaur would be uh, limited. But but in our centaur podcast, we pointed out the, um, the the idea that as modern humans, we often think of ourselves, we think of the mind-body connection as a rider on a horse. Mm-hmm. We are the rider, or, or rather our brain is the, is the rider, and the horse is our body. And our horse is stubborn, um, lazy, there are problems with it, and our mind is in its own thing. And then the, the mind, the rider inevitably gets angry with the horse. Mm-hmm. And there's this conflict between the two. And, uh, and various um, you know, philosophers, New Age thinkers have, have made the argument that we are essentially 
a centaur, that we're really this mind and body, this, this single entity combined of the two. And the more we're in touch with that, the easier a time we'll have. And yoga, in my experience, really feels like, um, it, it underlines that that vision of the mind body connection, you know, because you because like I say, you go into the yoga, you're 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 just all mind a lot of the times, mm-hmm. or maybe you're you're all mind with like one other thing, like oh your knees bothering you, your 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 teeth are bothering you, your you know whatever happens to be the the one part of your body that's give, giving you the most um, that's getting the most attention at the right. time. You enter the that in that room with that mind body connection, and when you leave, the idea is that you're more in touch. With the body, well, the, the more union of the that occurs, yeah. right? That's yeah. the idea of yoga, so that it's a union between the mind and the body. Um, so, and and that's what we will see played out actually in scientific studies when we we speak a little bit more about that later. Mm-hmm. Um, but we should t- probably talk about how yoga came to to become so popular here in the West and um, why it arrived at our our doorsteps. Um, particularly, I'm thinking about uh, a woman named Indra Devi. And her, her real name, or her, I'm going to say her real name, but, um, her name is, was Eugenie Peterson. And she was a popular Indian star. She studied under Jagannath G. Gunay, who's a really important guy in the history of yoga and actually trying to, um, put some scientific method behind this and, and, and scientific rigors to right. examine yoga and its benefits. And, um, he actually established an ashram in India devoted to the scientific study, and he was an advisor to Gandhi. But anyway, Indra Devi uh, studied with him, and she actually moved to Hollywood and taught yoga to other actors, including Gloria Swanson, uh, Greta Garbo, and Marilyn Monroe. And she was really the first yoga teacher to the stars. Yeah. Uh, but people don't normally associate yoga with her. It's more with our friends, the Beatles. Yes. And In fact, we have an article uh, on this on How Stuff Works. Did the Beatles introduce yoga to... Uh, Western civilization. Which is a kind of a yes and no article. Yeah. Uh, but they, they, it does go into George Harrison, who studied sitar mm-hmm. under Ravi Shankar in India, and he sort of became involved in um, different aspects of yoga and meditation, uh, particularly with a yogi named uh, the Maharishi. Yes, and, and he's definitely the the name that, that tends to stick in people's minds when they think yeah. of, of, uh, of importing yoga into Western culture. Yeah, and so you know, it, actually, you can see how that influenced their their musical careers—not just even their personal careers, but you can hear the music from that time, um, and not just the sitar, but these these different melodies that are Eastern melodies um, that sort of pervade the music at the time. But anyway, so they sort of brought that um, this ideas of meditation and trans- transcendental meditation in particular to the U.S. And the Maharishi is someone who a lot of people began to follow, especially um, through TM, Transcendental Meditation. Um, so today, we have 20 million people in the U.S. alone who are practicing yoga. Yeah, and they're practicing a variety of different types of yoga. We were, we were talking about this the other day. Yoga, in a sense, uh, modern yoga in, in, the, in the States, in Western culture, it, it has this kind of viral aspect to it. Where it seems to spread from carrier to carrier, and yeah. uh, uh, and it kind of adapts itself to each new host, so that uh, so that after a while you have these different versions, uh, this endless variety of yoga that's uh, is branching out and evolving from patient zero, um, who I guess would have been Gloria Swanson. Um, <laughs> so so just to name a few, um, 
Uh, th- there's a whole list of the, these uh, right at the front of The Science of Yoga by William J. Broad. Which we are basing a lot of this yes. podcast on, by the way. This is a really great book. We cannot um, cover it in its entirety because we would talk for 10 hours. Yeah. But um, but we are going to touch on some of the, the highlights. Yeah, so we'll touch on it some more and, and certainly pick up that book if you're interested in this. But at the very beginning, he does a great job of just laying out like a, some brief overview material. And he mentions uh, a number of the styles of yoga. The first one he mentions, Anusara. Which is uh, which is actually the one that I t- I tend to practice. Um, it's a great one, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I find it. You know, it's nice. It's kind of it's flowy. Has a upbeat philosoph- philosophical side to it. You mm-hmm. know, and uh, yeah, I, I've benefited from it. Which which variety do you tend to? Uh, I started out with Iyengar, which is really a pre- I guess you would call it precision yoga. Mm-hmm. It's very specific. You hold the poses for a long time. And the idea is that you want to get the postures right before you you know really sort of launch yourself into yoga. And um, Hatha, of course, which is sort of a catch-all for for a general yoga. Um, that's actually very old yoga yeah. based on tantric yoga, which we'll talk about in later. A, in a, yeah, and in a separate podcast. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so th- those are a few. And then there's Ashtanga. There's uh, Bikram or hot yoga. Hot yoga. Yeah. Uh, TM, by the way, trademarked. Oh, is it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, there's Kundalini, Vinyasa. Uh, all sorts here. Power so, yoga. Power, yeah. Um, I actually saw not too long ago a class that was, uh, I think it was like death metal yoga. What? No, I'm not kidding. It's the, yeah, the Young Blood Gallery. Really? They do it to, to death metal? They do it to death metal, is my understanding. Um, so as you say, like, there's each iteration uh, brings with it a bit of flavor from, from that person. Yeah. Um, so well, that, which there's makes, yoga for real men. That's the one we were talking about. The Diamond Dallas Page, the former uh, wrestler, pro wrestler, has yeah. been uh, advocating. And you know, you can get into these various styles, and you can make some criticism, or and even legitimate criticism of some of these styles based on on science or tradition, or you know, or what have you. Certainly, some of them are are more in touch with the roots of yoga than others. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's uh, it, it's it's adapting itself to new styles. So that like the the people who would be interested in Diamond Dallas Page's yoga class or yoga DVDs or whatever he's selling um, are rather different from the people that would necessarily be up for Anusara yoga. And uh, right. and so on, in a broad sense, I'm totally in favor of that. You know. Well, I think the cool thing about all these different branches of it or these different styles is that you do get a fuller understanding of what yoga is, even if you are doing something like power yoga or death metal yoga. <laughs> um, jazz yoga. Jazz, jazz hands yoga. Um, y- you know, you're going to take something away from Iyengar yoga and a different thing from Anusara. And and it doesn't mean that one is more correct over the other. It's just it's very different. Maybe yeah. not the death metal so much, but um, that is what makes it such an interesting practice, but also so incredibly difficult to study scientifically, yeah. right? Because it's not like you're standardizing it and you're saying, everybody do these 26 poses, unless you're uh, Bikram, right? Because I think that is actually, he's got those uh, 26 poses trademarked. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but you do have all these different things going on. So it's, it's hard to wholesale say, okay, we're going to study yoga because it's just this one thing and it's not the other reason why it's hard to study is because big pharma really isn't all that interested yeah uh william j broad does a great job of stressing this in in the book that all right so who funds research specifically who funds medical research Mm -hmm. a lot of the time it is big pharmaceutical companies who are interested in finding that next big 
drug, which on one hand, they, they want to find the next big drug that's going to be very beneficial for human health, but they also want to find the next big drug that's going to make them a lot of money. I mm-hmm. mean, it's that's just the nature of the beast. Uh, you know, say what you will about it, but that's how it works. So when you're looking at yoga, um, with very few exceptions, <laughs> you're not looking at something that can be turned into a product or a pill. I mean, unless uh, a major pharmaceutical company wanted to open a studio you know, it's uh, yeah. it's not the kind of thing that's gonna gonna have an, an immediate pharmaceutical tie-in or benefit. So no, you're right because it's not like you can take this pill that's gonna lower your cortisol levels, your stress hormone levels, mm-hmm. increase testosterone levels in some cases. Um, you know, reduce your uh, metabolic rate. I mean, th- you're right. There's all these different things going on in yoga that you just couldn't take a pill for. Right. So, hence the the disinterest on the subject. Yeah. So you see, you see plenty of studies. There have been countless studies. Oh, I mean, well, not countless, but there have been thousands of studies uh, just in, in in over the past uh, decade or so. Uh, people looking into yoga, the science of yoga, uh, but it's often more of a side product. It's not necessarily right. like a. It's not a, like a huge, extensive uh, study in most cases. It's not one of these things where you have you know hundreds or dozens even of um, of individuals that are being uh, subjected to rigorous, rigorous study. In some cases, they're they're looking at one individual. There, there's not. Uh, we're not talking about deep. Um, Inquisitive uh, scientific studies in many cases. They're more sort of side studies to uh, a researcher's core funded uh, interest. Yeah, and William J. Rod does bring up the point that a lot of the studies that he came across, and I think he looked at, what, 100 years worth of studies, Mm -hmm. were conducted in India. And so a lot of them are little known studies. Yeah, they're not necessarily the kind of thing you can just do a search for and then purchase the study for, you know, 1995 or yeah. Right, whatever can, uh, outrageous price they're charging on the uh, uh, in the journals, but yeah, yeah, it'll be outside of uh, of, of easily obtainable um, medical uh, documents. And what I think that, um, just as a side note, that William J. Broad did a really good job of trying to bring all these different studies to light because he is talking about a hundred years worth of studies, some of them being conducted during a time when there was an MRI or various different technologies available to us, and then he actually went through some of that material and myth busted. Uh, some of the erroneous studies that came up uh, because of this idea of, you know, there weren't, there wasn't double blind studies in some of them. Right. Um, so some of the conclusions that were drawn were, were wrong. Um, or just trying to go and sort things out and look at other studies that tried to corroborate these uh, older studies later on. That is a massive amount of work. Yeah. So I did want to bring that up because, um, you know, when this book came out, there was a lot of, um, Ranker from the yoga community because he does talk about some things that, that are maybe difficult to hear right now um, in terms of the risk of yoga that we'll talk about later. Yeah, you saw people responding to him on, on some of these message boards and, and these yoga uh, publications where they were just like, like, why does he hate yoga so much? Why is he and so he angry? And he, he doesn't. He doesn't. He's been practicing it. Yeah. it for 40 years. Yeah, he was just, I mean, he's a science writer yeah. who has practiced yoga for years and years, like since the 70s, I believe. It's it's just, yeah. it, it is and has been a part of his life for a, a long time. And he had been wanting to bring these two together. To I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the questions that he tackles in this book are things that, that he'd been wondering about. Mm-hmm. But he didn't really have, you know, he hadn't taken the time to actually study them and do the research and find out what science can tell us about yoga. Yeah, and you can actually tell in this book, if you read it from, from cover to cover, you can tell that he loves and respects it and does it, as much as possible, and we'll continue to do it. Um, that my hope is that ten more books are spawned from this yeah. book, clarifying the science even further. A lot of the negative stuff that came out really 
was wasn't as much the book, I think, but that New York Times article that uh, that Broad also wrote. Yeah. Um, that published in the New York Times, and it was uh, I forget what the title of it was. Uh, uh, how yoga can wreck your body. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. And. It's one of those things, you know, that makes the rounds. It shows up in people's Facebook feeds. In many cases, people don't even necessarily read that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know how it goes. It gets just shot around an email. And the instant uh, message it's sending is, yoga is dangerous. This thing right. that you told us was was easy, that everybody could do, that everyone could benefit from, and then it was low impact, and it was all, you know, hippy-dippy and, and carefree, yeah. could kill me. Uh, and uh, and that comes as a, a revelation to a number of people. Uh, I mean, just just as a general idea that this thing is 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 not uh, without its risks. Well, the yoga community didn't want people to shy away from the practice of yoga or discount it altogether on based yeah. on this one aspect of it. Which, and, and, I and they say I that was a want that to happen either. And I don't think yeah. Rod does. You yeah, know? that and wasn't his intent. No, I don't think it was either. And he actually didn't select that title. Um, ah, the editors. <laughs> well, it's more clickable, right? Um, so, you know, he's, but anyway, that's what they took issue with. So let's, you know, that's a good point to sort of launch off, launch off of and talk about what are these myths or what are these sort of wrong-headed thinking that have come out of yoga? Well, for starters, um, yoga has its roots in mysticism and, uh, Anything with its roots in mysticism is going to carry that up through the plant, you know, up through the years. So there remains a certain amount of mysticism at times in, in various um, incarnations of yoga, even in Western society. So it, it just it just depends on the uh, on, on on who you're listening to. I mean, yeah. the, the claims that have been made about yoga have have ranged from just sort of uh, uh, you know simple simple claims about various health benefits to being able to defeat evil and achieve immortality and uh, and survive buried alive underneath the earth, you know? Yeah. I mean, so it it just runs the gambit on who you're listening to. Well, and the live burial is one that he that uh, William Jaw Jay Broad spends a lot of time on because he says like this is this example um, that was around 1837, I believe, in which this one yogi survived. I'm going to put that in scare quotes. Um, <laughs> a live burial for 40 nights and 40 days. Huh, those numbers, there's probably a reason why those numbers were selected, right? Because they have uh, religious uh, relevance, 40 days, 40 nights. Yeah. Um, you know, he, this this uh, supposedly survived this live burial, and this really stuck with people in their minds that, that yogis had these incredible powers and that they could, with their spiritual prowess, really um, become superhuman. And I'm talking specifically about a Punjab yogi who was a mystic showman and who underwent this this bar- live burial in 1837 before the Maharaj, and uh, you know he was rewarded pretty richly with a pearl necklace, gold bracelets, and pieces of silk. And supposedly, again, the sentries were looking after this, making sure that he wasn't breaking out and having a little midnight snack or whatnot. Um, but this was not uncommon to have this sort of showman aspect of yogis back in the day. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, and we'll discuss this some more in our our, our more tantrically uh, rooted uh, episode. But um, but yeah, the, the the yogis of old were were kind of they were showmen. They were kind of carnies. It was kind of a carny <laughs> yeah, industry. Yeah. Um, which is why I find it particularly funny that uh, Diamond Dallas Page is uh, is benefiting from yoga, well, both physically and uh, economically, because. 
He's a showman. He's a showman. He comes from pro wrestling, which is uh, which is very much a carny business. And yeah. then yoga, in its roots, is based is basically a carny business with these guys going around making outrageous claims, sort of duping the marks into thinking that they're doing uh, outrageous uh, uh, feats of strength or will or spirit. And uh, and then getting a little pay for it. Well, and some of them really were spiritually committed, but you know they they did need to to survive, and so sometimes they would undertake these pseudo magic yeah. yoga tricks. Well, some of them also were kidnappers. Uh, important. Oh, enough, but right. We'll talk about that. And in a ran little protection bit. Uh, schemes. I mean, it's yeah. really when we say it was a carny uh, business, uh, by which I mean it was kind of. Uh, um, morally suspect. Yeah. And, I mean, we're not exaggerating. It was, Broad goes into this. Uh, people hid their children. Yeah, people hid their children. People were wary of them. And, and you know, the, some of these yogis were considered uh, a nuisance. Some of them were totally on the level. Some of them were very spiritual men. Some of them were charlatans. Okay. And so, you know, the live burial probably wasn't happening in, or um, the yogi had someone on the inside helping mm-hmm. to get out of that situation. I think that the um, for that particular Punjab yogi, that was something like a six by four. Oh, no, I'm thinking about um, this is when Gune, this is the, the, the guy who started the ashram mm-hmm. in India in the 1920s to begin scientifically studying uh, yoga. He actually uh, tried this out, tried out this live burial because he thought, I really want to, pr-, he really wanted to prove that, yeah. that yogis have this superhuman 40 days, 40 nights ability to be buried alive. And so he reenacted the burial with another really gifted showman yogi who, by the way, wore trunks out of tiger skin. Nice. Because that's just how, you know, what bad this yogi was, right? Now, some of them went around naked as well, like with the beard. Yeah, and, beard so yeah, long that it yeah. kind of created a merkin. Um, so anyway, uh, Guni's research team sealed him into a six-foot-long, four-foot-wide, six-foot-deep chamber, which was sealed in brick and entered only by an airtight door. This yogi lasted only 11 hours the first time and then 18 hours the second time. Gune did this like 11 more times because he was like, really, I've got to find this this one yogi who can do this. But it turns out that, I mean, that's impressive, 18 yeah. hours. Um, 18 hours is achievable. You know, to be in this airtight chamber without food or water. Um, but uh, 40 days, 40 nights is not. This is a huge myth. Yeah. So we get into the same showman uh, area that you, you see with professional illusionist with uh, with a Houdini or, or what have you, except there's this, uh, this spiritual element that is uh, coded over it. The problem with it is that when you when you have this sort of um, inference of power that you could harness, then you start to see it trickle into modern day mythology of yoga. Mm-hmm. And Broad does a really good job of uncovering this and talking about these these myths of weight loss that are achievable through yoga. Yeah. And I, I believe that this was um this was because uh, many of the studies that were erroneous again came up and sort of suggested that you could lose weight. That well, and you you can lose weight with yoga. I mean, I've I've lost weight with yoga. My my yes. wife lost weight with yoga. It's 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 certainly possible, and people do it. But but it's anaerobic, right? Mm-hmm. Largely, unless you're doing something like Ashtanga, or you're doing you know a program of forty minutes of sun salutations, uh, you know. But most yoga routines are not that, yeah. and they have a ton, a ton of benefits. But you're probably not if you're going to go for straight aerobic weight loss. Uh, yoga is not. Yeah, if, if weight loss is your primary goal, then uh, 
then, then, then yoga should probably not be your primary weapon in that fight. Yeah, let me throw some stats at this. Um, American College of Sports Medicine recommends that exercisers draw on 50 to 85% of their maximum oxygen uptake reserve. And Texas State University researchers, um, who were trying to get to the bottom of this, found that women walking briskly on a treadmill use about 45% of their maximum reserves while uh, women doing a yoga routine used just 15% of their reserves. Okay, so that right there is, is sort of giving you the math of like, well, you're not probably going to reach the amount of calories burned to really lose weight during yoga. Mm-hmm. Another 2005 study, uh, this one by the University of Wisconsin, found that their half the sessions of yoga were burning just 144 calories, which is similar to a slow walk. Okay, but with the the benefit here that that um that a lot of people are getting is that they're losing weight because once you begin to practice yoga, you sort of slow down in terms of your intentions and your thinking and what you're doing to your body and what you're putting into your body. So a lot of people when they begin practicing and, and Broad talks about this too, have this awareness of, okay, I'm not just eating, uh, you know, stuffing a bunch of stuff. In into my, the horse. Into you know? the horse. Yeah, I'm right? stepping it into me. I'm, I'm building it. a new body out of this food. It's kind of like a yes. gateway uh, to a better mind-body understanding. Right, right. So you, all of a sudden you start saying, oh, that corn dog. There's 10 corn dogs. Do I really need 10 corn dogs? <laughs> I don't think so. Or you begin to fill up and you become aware that you no longer have these sensations of hunger and yeah. you quit eating. And that is a huge benefit of yoga because it does... Uh, it's going to sound weird, but hanging out in a pose for five minutes and feeling uncomfortable will put you in a situation where you become very intimate with the thoughts in your brain and the sort of loops that go around in your head. And it really is a mini meditation. Yeah. I mean, I will find myself, you know, you, I'll put myself in one of those poses and then I'll remember that I'm not thinking about whatever was occupying my mind nonstop, uh, you know, previously. Well, I mean, for example... Um, I recently had uh, a couple of wisdom teeth taken out, which, um, and, and I'm I'm in my 30s, which means that uh, it's a lot more intense. Uh, apparently, this has been my what I've gathered because it, when I went and did get them taken out, all these people were like, "Oh yeah, I had them taken out in high school and it was great." You know, they you could take a few days off and they right. give you some pain medication and it's no big deal. And you know, it's maybe it's not any big deal. Uh, you know, when you're when you're 15 or 16, but when you're in your, your 30s, it's 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 awful. And it's, it's, uh, it's this awful thing, this, this awful violation of your mouth, uh, that just uh, <laughs> sticks with you for, for, for weeks to follow. Yeah. And, um, and so, and, and so I'm constantly thinking about it. And then I found that, you know, going to yoga, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be in a pose, like I'll be in, um, uh, pigeon pose or something, you know, which, which I find is a good one where you're, you're, you're all, you're all tensed up, you're in this pose, it's, Pigeon is my favorite, by yeah, the way. Yeah, it's, I wouldn't, I don't want to describe it as uncomfortable, but it is, you have to submit. Yeah, you're very present in what your body is doing, and then I would find myself just completely forgetting about what my mouth was doing, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, uh, you know, which I'm not saying it, it allowed me to, you know, erase pain or something, but it, it made me forget about the thing that I was constantly punching my brain in the face with. Well, but then it was reducing your stress too, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, we we know how the whole pain loop. Um, and the biofeedback works. Mm-hmm. So if you can interrupt that, which yoga does a great job at, yeah. then you can cease the pain. And a lot of people will say, like, actually, there are, there are several different things. When you get in that sort of flow, people will say that they have, you know, this uh, interruption of pain. And some of that is music. Some people who have chronic pain 
um, if they perform music or sing, um, they can they can stop that cycle. Or yoga is another good example. Um, so yeah, I mean, what I'm saying, weight loss, aerobics, that's probably not going to be your path to to you know dropping 20 pounds instantly. But you know, a yoga regimen is definitely going to help in the long term, just in terms of of you being able to get your head around you know, how your body is working and what you're doing to it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it's breathing, too, just becoming conscious of of everything you're doing at a given moment. What are my limbs doing? What is my breath doing? And, again, just becoming conscious of body. Well, and get, getting comfortable with discomfort. Yeah. Right? Um, metabolism. This is another thing um, that comes up in terms of weight loss or just overall fitness. Um in a 2006 study by physiologist Maya Sandra S. Shia, she found that regular practitioners cut their basal metabolic rate on average by 13%. This is excellent, right? Mm-hmm. This means that you're becoming much more adept at managing stress. By gender, it was an 8% reduction for men and an 18% reduction for women. But this has led to a reduction in uh, basal metabolic rate that no longer now requires as much food and calories to stoke the metabol uh, your metabolism, right? So, in other words, um, when your metabolism drops to these degrees, then the body doesn't need ten corn dogs, you, you, right? And if yeah. you continue to eat those corn dogs with a reduced uh, basal met- metabolic rate, you're going to gain weight. Ah, ah, this is the go. bummer part of it, right? Yeah. So if you, you you get in the habit of yoga, but you don't necessarily break the habits of eating that are uh, yeah that are happening elsewhere. Yeah, I know yeah. when, and I don't know the specific specifics of this because Broad doesn't really go into this to saying to the degree that these people were yogis. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, did they practice three hours a day or you know twice a week? My, yeah, did they have a certain certification with a certain style of yoga? Which you, know, you get into whole like hours right. uh, of certification that are required. Yeah, and, you know, if you're doing Ashtanga or something that's a little bit more rigorous, then you're probably your basal uh, metabolic rate probably isn't going to uh, drop quite as low. But uh, the point is here is that you know you you know they used to think that ah oh, okay you could do yoga just as well as jogging and you'd get your heart rate up and mm-hmm. you'd be able to to burn as many calories. But that's not happening here. But that's but still this is good news because we're going to talk about it in a little bit. But um, Lowering your metabolism is huge. It's yeah, a great yeah. ability. And in fact, it would really make sense, um, particularly if you were a yogi um, turn of the century who couldn't find a lot of food, who was having to sort of batten down the hatches of energy to, to have the skill to, to lower your, your metabolism would be great, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could yes, you have a means of coping with, with hunger. I mean, real hunger yeah. and not, you know, Western, I need 10 corn dogs hunger, but... Right. Legitimate hunger. Okay. Another claim that comes up is oxygen. Like, ah, oh, if you do this, this routine, your body's going to be flush with oxygen. Um, certainly you, you become, you become conscious, more conscious of your breathing. And as yes. you're, you're getting your heart rate up, you are breathing more. So you can understand where this idea comes from. Right. But it turns out that no matter how fast or slow you breathe, you get generally the same amount of oxygen into your body and into your brain. Okay, so it doesn't really matter. Yoga does not is not going to change um, the amount of oxygen that you absorb. Um, what changes, and this is actually can have uh, several different ramifications, is the amount of carbon dioxide in your system, the, all of that breathing. Mm-hmm. And so there's something like the Kabbalah body breath. Um, this is called the breath of fire, skull oh, shining. Of fire. Yeah. Wait, wait, do I, is this the one where I inhale and I go? <laughs> 
Yeah, like yeah, that one. Sorry, everybody, but yeah, that's how it gets. Okay. And basically, what you're doing is you're taking your your belly button and try to you're forcing it against the the back of your spine, and mm-hmm. you're breathing really fast. In wait, in what? Well, no, through your nose, but your your uh, stomach is like a rubber band. It keeps going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then I breathe out. Yeah. Well, that puts a lot of carbon dioxide into your blood. That that feeling like you're about to pass out. That's why. <laughs> uh. <laughs> it's not necessarily. It's I mean, it's not necessarily bad for you, but of course. Um, you know, there's a whole list of things that, of the reasons why you sh- sh- probably shouldn't practice it, like if you were pregnant. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's sort of this idea of, okay, we're getting all this oxygen. You're just replenishing your vile organs with oxygen. That's not necessarily the case. Yeah. I mean, you, you get into situations with a lot of stuff in yoga where you're, you're putting your body in a position or you're doing something with your breath. Where that allows you to feel something that you don't normally feel and an awareness of your body that, you, that is not normally present. So it's very easy then to layer some uh, some uh, fiction on top of an experience and make it into something it's not. Right, and at the same time, though, your body is undergoing these these changes that yeah. are, are affecting your mood, um, and we'll talk about that and the benefits a little bit more. Um, I mean, there, there's, there's real manifestation here. Yeah. Now, I don't want to, when I say fiction, I don't want to imply that putting a little, a layer of fiction or, you know, or myth or whatever on top of a sensation can't help you maybe understand and empower you, uh, to a a sense. I don't want to just completely discount, you know, ideas of serpents and chakras and and what have you. Uh, I, I think it's, it's all. It's all valid. Well, that's uh, the power of storytelling, right? Yeah, we talked yeah. about that. It's putting a little power of storytelling on top of this weird pseudo pain that is going through my <laughs> leg, you know? Um, I think that's totally fine. No, I think we should take a break. Yeah, we probably should. Yeah. Um, when we come back, we will talk about some of the risks and then some of these incredible uh, rewards. So uh, including hold that the, pose. Yeah, hold we'll that right. pose. We'll, we'll talk about a potential fountain of youth. All right, we're back. You can uh, you can go into child's pose now, and, uh, and we'll venture into oh, the uh, into the the second half of. Oh, our... not me, them. No, no, you you stay in uh, pigeon. <sighs> okay, all right. So William J. Broad, uh, ranker yoga community, and specifically because he talked about some of the risks. Um, when he is talking about the risks, he is talking mainly about the neck region. Yeah, and it's important to note here too that. Like like my yoga class, the main yoga class I go to, uh, my teacher's really great about stressing, hey, don't overdo it. You know, come yeah. in, um, do what's comfortable for you. Don't try to compete with yourself or with other people in the class. Don't try to impress anybody and, uh, and you know, be mindful of, of the risk. Not every class is like this. And not every practitioner or potential practitioner, rather, is going to be that mindful of all of this. You can, you, I mean, that's... That's how most of these injuries happen. It seems like pe- people come in and they, they either get into a, a moment where oh, I'm going to try to impress this person, or I'm or I, I'm going to do what I feel like I should be doing and not what my body is telling me to do. Yeah, and um, you know William J. Broad does he he does bring that up. He says there's this sort of neophyte problem to it, right? Because if you don't mm-hmm. really know how to get in, out of the poses and how it affects you yet, then you probably shouldn't try some that that um, are more extreme. Or um, put more extreme pressure on your body. Yeah, and um, like I, I was telling you about, I was in a class, and I, and I go to, I take classes at the YMCA. So we, you get people that will come in like forty-five minutes into a class, 
and they'll be advised, hey, it could be dangerous if you start a yoga class 45 minutes in. And then, I, you know, this, I watch somebody, like an overweight person in socks uh, go up into wheel, and they did not snap in half and have to be carried off to the hospital this time. <laughs> you can, yeah, wheel is a backward bend, and it's basically going up. I, mean, I think I'm sure everybody is familiar with the image of the bridge, right? Yeah. Where you're on your back and you go up into bridge. This like is five actually, year olds do it all the time. Yeah, five year olds can snap in yeah. and out of this, no problem. Um, but it's it's a it's really um, it, it's it takes a lot of effort to get your body up in that position. You're essentially your head is upside down, your neck is crooked back quite mm-hmm. a bit. And this is what Broad is talking about. He's saying that these poses that really bend your neck, you know, these 90-degree angles, are putting a lot of pressure on your cervical vertebrae. And what a lot of people don't realize is that there are vertebral arteries that are basically uh, looping themselves within this framework of vertebrae up in your neck. So it's like sort of this intricate... um, snaking of these arteries. Mm-hmm. So when you're bending your head back that much, you're putting a tremendous amount of pressure. pressure, pressure. Um, and so he's talking about in uh, poses like headstand, I think everybody's familiar with that, uh, shoulder stand, mm-hmm. in which you swing your, your legs up over your head. Yeah, yeah kind of like the bicycle thing that you would do in like yeah. elementary school gym. Yeah, if you're on your back. Um, wheel, again, and then something called plow. And oh, which one is plow? Plow is the actually when I just said shoulder stand, I was just um, talking about plow. Um, when you're in shoulder stand, you just swing your legs over. Oh yes, okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they go over your head. So basically, anything that puts torque on the neck. So uh, again, these are not well-known arteries, and the problem here is that everybody is structured differently. So your your um, the way that you're arteries loop in there and the way that your uh, cervical vertebrae are are going to be different from another person. In other words, some people don't have much room in there. Yeah. And and that's the thing. You go into a class like this and people start going into pose, it's it's easy to fall into the thinking, oh, that's what our bodies do. That's what my body should do. But but everyone's body is is different. Sounds cliche. It is cliche, but it's true. Uh, yeah. Not- he says, like, he, there's no MRI machine when you go through the doors of a yoga studio. So it's not like you know exactly where your the oddities might be in your framework. Yeah. I mean, on a very simple level, not everybody can touch their toes. Not everybody should touch their toes, you know? And, uh, and when you get into much more... Um, uh, when, you, when you get into the, this neck region, when you get into the vertebrae, um, you, you can have potentially devastating results from pushing things too far. Yeah, in fact, what he's talking about is, okay, let's say you torque those arteries and then you tear them, um, mm-hmm. you get some blood clots there, right? You right. come out of the post, the clot sails up to your brain, and you have a stroke. That's the problem. Yeah. Now, he's saying that this is very rare. But it so has we shouldn't, yeah. yeah, we shouldn't all, you know, be, uh, you know, like, oh, this is going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> it is very rare. He's saying, you know, something like 300 cases a year. And of those 300 cases, less than 5% <laughs> result in death. Um, but he is saying that it's something that people should be aware of doing. Personally, I don't do a headstand or shoulder stand or any of that anymore, and I haven't for about five years now. Um, but he, it, the, the problem here is that, um, you know, case after case of someone in their 20s, in their 30s, coming out of a pose and then having a stroke anywhere from, you know, a, then to 36 hours later, 
gives you this gray area of, well, did that really cause the stroke? Because, you know, correlation is not causation as we know. Yeah. But he is saying that the problem here is that we don't have, uh, you know, medical um, science hasn't really said, let's study these strokes in yoga in earnest and try to figure out what's happening. But he's saying that there's enough cases of really healthy people practicing yoga who have had strokes that we should stop and we should look at the evidence here of how tenuous this artery is uh, and how we should respect it a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, respect is respecting the body and respecting the limitations and fragility of the body is important. Because that's another thing about coming into something like yoga if you if you haven't... I mean, yoga appeals to uh, a wide number of people, but it often appeals to people who have not been all that physically active, who do not have a lot of experience or any experience with sports or athletic-related injuries. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was, I'm the same way. Like prior to yoga, my main, the main thing I ever did was swimming, which is very low impact. You know, I never injured myself swimming. Uh, maybe I bonked my head, uh, you know, on the concrete once or twice, but, uh, that I can remember. But, but for the most part, you're not going to strain something or, or be limping around after you've done some laps. Uh, you go into yoga, it's a different story. And if you don't have experience with straining too hard and busting something, you're inevitably going to end up on that, you know, in that class where you, you do go a little, too far, and then for the first time, you you learn what it's like to uh, to 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 suffer, uh, you know, sports or athletic injury. Okay, so into that point, I'm I'm going to bring up Bikram, and I'm not picking on Bikram, and Broad is not picking on Bikram either. He's just saying that when you heat a room to 104 degrees, mm-hmm. 103 degrees. 98 degrees. Um, what you're doing is not only are you you making everybody sweat. Um, last night's dinner out, um, which always you know, culminates into a great funk in the in the yoga room. Um, but what you're doing is is you're creating an environment in which the joints, the muscles, all get very loose, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you feel like, oh, I can do all these incredible poses. I am Gumby. But he's saying that what happens is that you are pushing your body to its outer limits. That in normal conditions, in a normal conditioned room. Um, with normal temperatures, your body would be telling you, hey, this is too much. Yeah. Don't do this. So he's saying that that is very injurious in a sense because people are going beyond their outer limits. Like my teacher always stresses that uh, if, if, you're, uh, if you're you're in a pose, it should not hurt. You know, there's yeah. that level of I am stretching. I am, you know, that that I'm I'm that, that I'm engaging the muscles and I'm engaging my my bones, but I should not feel like I am hurting my bones or my muscles because that is a, a clear sign that you're pushing the boundaries and you're just, uh, you, you, you know, you're potentially just a, a, a slight tweak away from an injury. Yeah, this is when ligaments and cartilage get torn, mm-hmm. right? And over and over again, to uh, Broad has said that the, he's seen this um, in studies with, uh, with hot yoga. Um, you know, you, you run a risk of dislocations and sprains. I mean, it just goes on and on. And I have taken hot yoga. I've, I have actually really enjoyed it once I got over the fact that I felt like I was in a jungle, um, <laughs> trying to survive to my next breath. But, um, but I did understand, like, you know what? I need to take it easy here because I do feel like I could just pop up into wheel, you know, in, in two seconds here. And what is that doing to my body under these extreme circumstances? Yeah. Um, okay. So enough with the downer stuff. Let's talk about telomeres and all these really incredible things that yoga does. I mean, we're not just talking about strength, right? Because you're using your own body weight to to increase your muscle mass, right, when you're in these poses. Um, it's creating endurance, balance, flexibility, um, but also something called autonomic control. 
Okay, for starters, uh, we have blood pressure. Uh, we have seen in studies that yogis are able to manipulate um, control over their blood pressure, which, as we all know, that's a that's a good thing. I mean, and, and right. they've been able to, when I say manipulate it, uh, bring it down, <laughs> not, right. Not, right? Not rocket it up. Well, hence the again this idea that you know some yogis are were supernatural um, and could do these superhuman strengths. Um, but here is a here is actually a sort of superhuman thing. Um, there is a mind over matter example. Um, Researchers show that yogis, or at least one yogi in Broad's book, could create a gap up to 11 degrees across his palm, a gap in difference of temperature huh. between his body and his palm. Um, so this is why scientists have begun to take interest in yogis, because through the scientific lens, you can really start to see parallels to animal hibernation. We've talked about this, like suspended animation. How can, how can we harness this mind-body connection to manipulate our bodies to do really things that they're not supposed to do or superhuman things like this. Yeah, and so if, I mean, if you're you're able to adjust blood pressure, I mean, we're talking about improving cardiovascular health as, as a whole, mm-hmm. um, and, and this can affect such factors as, uh, you know, um, there's high blood pressure, blood sugar, cholesterol, um, and, and even, uh, you know, tinker with the proteins involved in blood clotting, yeah. all in a beneficial way, so... So that's good. And the other just really incredible thing that I found uh, um, in, in Broad's book was this idea of telomeres yes. and extending them. Yeah, we've, we've mentioned before telomeres and telomerase. Uh, this gets down to these little uh, DNA shoelaces that kind of eventually begin to unravel. And as they unravel, thus is the process of aging. Uh, things start to go downhill. Uh, your body starts to suck. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and that's all she wrote. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there, we, we have seen that um, that yoga, of course, reduces stress. And then in reducing stress, one can actually reduce the unraveling of those telomeres and the eventual suckage of said body. Yeah, because it turns out that stress is one of the things that erodes the tips of, of um DNA, right? Mm-hmm. This is and this is what telomerase, the enzyme, can come in and deliver more genetic information and actually extend those tips. So stuff like disease, um, you know, chronic stress, that's going to whittle away at our biological clocks because that's really what telomeres are. These are biological clocks that are ticking. Yeah. So if you can lump more material on it, extend these DNA tips, then this is a sort of fountain of youth. And when I say this, um, I don't mean to say like, ah, oh, you know, you know, indefinitely, if you just do yoga, we're all going to live for the rest of our lives. Um, but it does show that yoga can slow biological aging. And a Harvard physician and health superstar, Dean Ornish, I'm sure a lot of people have heard of him, looked at 24 men who took up his health regimen. The subjects were aged uh, 50 to 80 and did yoga for an hour a day, six days a week over three months. And they had their telomerase levels, these enzyme levels, taken before and after the study. And in addition to the decline in the cholesterol, as you say, blood pressure, and general anxiety, it was found that the post-yoga subjects' telomerase level shot up by 30%. Nice. That, to yeah. me, is, wow. I mean, whoa, that's a reason to do yoga right there. Yeah. And then there's uh, also a little something called GABA, which is uh, not... Yo-gabba-gabba? Not Yo-gabba-gabba, but uh, the uh, the neurotransmitter that yeah. uh, is uh, tied in with uh, heightened moods. If you've ever been a, a, a supplement junkie, then you've probably run across GABA pills at your local health food store. And um, it's uh, 
low levels of GABA have been linked to depression. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Broad reported that uh, scientists from Boston University School of Medicine, Harvard Medical School, and uh, McLean uh, Psychiatric Hospital found that the brains of yoga practitioners showed increases in GABA levels. Uh, and apparently it was more so, uh, it was more prevalent in more experienced uh, yoga practitioners as well. Yeah, yeah, something uh, 20, 27% rise in the um regular practitioners mm-hmm. and then in newbies it was just a 13% rise but that is still a significant amount of gaba neurotransmitters hanging out in your brain yeah less stress i mean less stress is less stress so yeah that's great but less stress less uh, less uh, decaying of the te- telomeres longer life it's all good. Right? Yeah, yep. And then here's one more thing to throw at you because I know I feel like we're, we're starting to sound like a Ginzu knife commercial, but here we have it's the immune system. Um, also, it benefits from yoga, the vagus nerve, which runs from the brainstem to the torso. Um, and by the way, vagus has etymological roots with vagabond, right? Because it's a sort of vagabond of your body. This yeah. this nerve. Um, it, we know that the nerve central action is to regulate and slow the heart. Uh, this nerve, but more recently we found out that it also regulates the immune system and it helps to fight inflammation. And so there have been studies with people who suffer from rheumatoid arthritis who have really found that poses that flex their spine and stimulate the vagus nerve are finding a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, benefits to being able to walk without pain and all these great things. And of course, it's nature's Viagra. Yes. Yeah, and, and we'll we'll get into the um, the sexual benefits of yoga in our additional podcast that we're doing this week on yoga, which is titled uh, "Yoga Sex Magic." So uh, tune into that one if you want to hear more about it. But but studies have shown that uh, yoga does lead to uh, improvements in one's sex life. So yeah, we'll leave it at that. Yeah, in your imagination. Yeah. So uh, we're gonna uh, since we're going a little long here, I'm gonna skip. Uh, Listener mail uh, on this episode, uh, but w- I, I do want—I do think we should leave everyone with uh, with some encouragement, uh, some added encouragement for yoga. Um, and we're both yoga advocates, so we're going to advocate it here. And I'm just going to say, if if yoga sounds at all interesting, uh, give it a try, and not just one try. Give it a couple, <laughs> two or yeah. three tries. Because the first time I took yoga, uh, I did not like it, and I do not think I would have gone back had my wife not been interested in trying it some more. I mean, it's just. It's not necessarily going to grab you that first time, but uh, but if, you know, give it a chance and give various styles a chance. Like I say, maybe black death yoga is your or death metal yoga is your thing. Yeah, maybe you know? uh, Diamond Dallas Page's yoga is your thing, or or you know, and it's all gateway. Maybe you, you get a taste of it and then you find something that's really more suited for what you want. But uh, there's a lot out there on the buffet. Yeah, and I know that I love my studio because they cater to pretty much everyone under the sun. So if you have some physical limitations, there's chair yoga. There's um, yoga for depression and anxiety. Yeah, relaxation they, yoga. There's, yeah. uh, there's yoga for veterans, actually, as yes. well in my studio, which is great. Um, there's so, prenatal yoga. There's postnatal yoga. There's you know yoga for, for mothers and their their, their, their infants. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a wide variety of stuff out there. So yoga for magicians. Yeah. No. Yeah, probably. I'm I'm, I'm not going to doubt any of it at this point. Um, but yeah, look around, and you know, and if and if yoga definitely isn't your thing, uh, you know, find something, some sort of uh, activity out there. Um, if nothing else, just try to think a little bit bit about your breathing during the daily life and uh, see where it takes you. Let's do it now. All right. 
Okay, so where can you find us? You can find us on Facebook, where we are Stuff to Blow Your Mind, and you can also find us on Twitter, where our handle is Blow the Mind. And you can also send us a line at blowthemind at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.